Do you ever wonder if we're living in the end times? In Dr. Jeremiah's book, Where Do We Go From Here? He examines what Bible prophecy reveals about 10 phenomena happening in our world today. Order your copy this month, and if you give $75 or more, you'll also receive Dr. Jeremiah's entire teaching series on CD or DVD, correlating study guide, and his interview special on DVD. Order now at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. The effects of a single sin can dramatically entangle you binding you tightly in guilt and shame. David, who struggled with sin, endured this more than once. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah considers the fate that awaits those who fall out of fellowship with God, as well as the remedy which is always close at hand. With the conclusion of his message, reaching an all-time low, here's David. Hey, thank you for joining us. We are studying the life of David here on Turning Point, and today uh, we're going to conclude um, our discussion of uh, reaching an all-time low, David's uh, craziness in his running away from his enemy. And uh, we will be looking at 1 Samuel 21 and 22. You can find your place there, and you'll be able to follow along. During the month of June, we are making available to those of you who will help us with a gift for our ministry to reaching people around the world with the Word of God. When you help us with a gift of any size, we want to send you a copy of the Psalms and Proverbs in a new and beautiful design. It's put together in such a way so that you can read the Psalms and the Proverbs together and conclude your reading in one month. Read five Psalms, one chapter of Proverbs, every day, and you can read these two books simultaneously through the month. And uh, the book is set up that way. It's printed with the five psalms, then the one chapter of Proverbs, then five more psalms, and it's done in such a way to help you stay focused, and uh, as we've learned, uh, the psalms keeps your mind on heaven, and the Proverbs keeps your feet on the earth. It's the New Living Translation, prefaced by some comments that I have made, and um, by George Wilson, who also wrote an introduction to it. I hope you'll get this volume. It will be a real blessing. I don't think you'll just do this once. You'll do it many times. In fact, I know people that have started reading Psalms and Proverbs, and they read it every month. And uh, you couldn't go wrong in doing that. This truth is eternal. It continues to intersect with your life. Ask for your copy when you send your gift today. And now, let's get started with part two of reaching an all-time low. I want you to notice that there's a man he meets, and I'll just ask you to put that on hold, if you will. In the seventh verse of the 21st chapter, there was a certain man of the servants of Saul that day. His name was Dog, an Edomite. He was the chief herdsman that belonged to Saul. Just hold on to that for a moment. Just put it in file number one and hang on to it. That's the first thing that's going to get David in trouble. I want to pass on to the second thing, and we'll come back to this in a few moments. The second thing that gets David into trouble is the fact that he asks for a weapon. Now watch carefully the scenario. David says to Ahimelech, do you have any weapons? And then he tells another lie. He said, I had to go on this mission for Saul in such a hurry I didn't have time to pick up my weapons. Well, David, we understand that you got away from Saul in a hurry, but not for that reason. (laughs) And Ahimelech says, we only have one weapon in the whole village, and it's wrapped up in a cloth behind the ephod. It's the sword that was used to kill Goliath, if that one's all right. 
David took a look at it and he said, boy, there's not a sword like that in the whole world. I'll take it. And he straps Goliath's sword on his belt. And watch what happens. He leaves Nob and he heads out to find another hiding place. And we pick it up in the 21st chapter. David arose and fled that day, verse 10, for fear of Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. Now, do you remember that name? Do you remember Gath? Let me refresh your memory. That is the place where Goliath grew up. Goliath is from Gath. Remember we talked about how all the giants were still in Gath? So here is Saul's enemy, David, running away. And where has he finally gone for refuge? He's gone to the hometown of Goliath, the man he killed in the valley. That's how bad things are for David. And he expects to walk into Gath since years have passed and they have forgotten about the little shepherd boy who with the slingshot killed Goliath. He intends to just walk in there and kind of get lost and take some sanctuary in the city. And notice what happens, verse 10. He arrives in that city in Gath where Achish the king is. And the servants of Achish said unto him, Is not this David king of the land? Did not they sing one to another of him in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? Apparently the hit parade even extended to Gath. The song had spread. David had a good agent. <laughs> you say, how in the world did they know this was David? I mean, time had lapsed and they had never seen him. I'll tell you how they knew. David walks into Gath, the hometown of Goliath, with Goliath's sword strapped on his belt. And if you had grown up in Gath, you would have heard of that sword since you were a little boy. Goliath was the hero of that village. I mean, everybody talked about Goliath, this nine foot, six inch tall man. You don't forget somebody like that. And they talked about his spear, which weighed 19 pounds on the end. Remember that? And they talked about his sword. And though you would never have recognized the average normal sword, when you see David walking into the hometown of Goliath and he's got Goliath's sword strapped on his belt, you don't have any trouble figuring out, hey, there's something strange here. He took a good look at him and he said, it's David. When you walk in your own ways, you sure do complicate your life, don't you? David has told a lie to Ahimelech, borrowed a sword from the village, and the sword now has gotten him found out in his next hiding place. So when David marches into Gath, he surprises nobody, and he finds himself in a very difficult position. Now here is the low point in David's life. Realizing that he is in terrible danger, and that there is no escape from this situation, David decides that the only way he can escape is to take the following course of action. Verse 12, David laid up these words in his heart, the words of the song that they were singing, and was sore afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. And he changed his behavior before them and feigned himself mad in their hands and scrabbled on the doors of the gate and let his spittle fall down upon his beard. And Achish said unto his servants, he's crazy. What David did was he started to slobber all over his beard. That's gross, isn't it? And he started to bang his head against the gate of the city and bang his arms against it and just kind of flail around, slobbering and flaying around and acting like he was nuts. And I love Achish's response. And they bring him to the king and Achish said unto his servants, you see the man's crazy. What are you bringing him to me for? 
I don't need any mad men. In other words, I got enough crazy people around here. Don't give me any more. I want to remind you, this is King David. This is the man after God's own heart. This is the sweet singer of Israel. With spittle slobbering in his beard, banging his head against the door, acting like a crazy man. Because you can never tell to what depths a person will go when they get out of fellowship with God. You lose your common sense. You lose all sense of propriety. You do the weirdest, strangest things if you're a Christian out of fellowship with God. So David has now deceived Ahimelech. He has totally degraded himself in front of Achish. And as we come to the end of chapter 21, we see David in the first two verses of chapter 22 running for his life and finally deciding the only safe place is to find a cave and to get in the cave. And we read, David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down where he was. Now watch this. And everyone that was in distress and everyone that was in debt and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him and he became a captain over them and there were with him about 400 men. Can you imagine being surrounded by 400 people that were either in debt, unhappy, or disquieted in their own spirit? David tries to play the crazy man in chapter 21, and the next thing he knows, he's got 400 crazy men all around him. And those are his mighty men who are going to help him win his wars. And I'd like to talk about those men. I think that's the most intriguing part of this whole thing in David's life with all those people around him, and he champions their cause, and ultimately they swell to a number of 600, and they go out and fight David's battles. Desperate men, mercenaries, if you will. But I just want to pause and remind you at the end of this little episode in David's life that the purpose of the cave was it was in the cave that David was delivered. You say, how do you find that in those two verses? Well, I don't find it in those two verses, but I find it in the two prayers that are recorded of David that he prayed when he was in the cave. I'm just going to ask you to turn to Psalm 57. We won't look at Psalm 142, but Psalm 57. And I want you to look at the inscription on the psalm. I hope that if nothing else, since we've been studying David's life, you've started to read the inscriptions on the psalms, which most of you passed over and never paid any attention to before. The inscriptions are individual writings to the musicians so that they will understand when the psalm was written. Notice Psalm 57. To the chief musician, Alsterchik, the miktam of David, which means a teaching psalm, notice when it was written, when he fled from Saul in the cave. So David is in the cave now. He has lied to Ahimelech. He has degraded himself before Achish. He has now found refuge in a cave, and he's got all of these, whatever you want to call them, men gathered around him. But he's down in the lower recesses of the cave. And I want you to read his prayer. Be merciful unto me, O God. Be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. 
He shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. My soul is among lions, and I lie even among them that are set on fire, even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue is a sharp sword. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have digged a pit before me in the midst whereof they have fallen themselves. My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. Awake up, my glory. Awake, psaltery and harp. I myself will awake early. I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people. I will sing unto thee among the nations. For thy mercy is great unto the heavens, and thy truth unto the clouds. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. We have sung that hymn, haven't we? What has happened to David? He's gone through all these difficult problems. He's been hunted. He's caught up in the intrigue of his own devices, and finally he is isolated and solitary down in that cave, and the only people around him are not going to be of any help to him at all. There's no one, according to Psalm 142, David said, I looked on my right hand and on my left, and no man cared for my soul. He was isolated, and it was David and God, and God and David, and finally David did at the end what he should have done at the beginning. He called out to God, and he prayed, and Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, If David would have prayed in the palace like he prayed in the cave, he never would have run in the first place. Well, he illustrates for us in no uncertain terms what happens when we get out of fellowship with God. And as we come to the end of this message, I want to leave with you three applications that are very clear to me from this text. I have made observations that are very consistently true. I know people that are out of fellowship with God, and you do too. I have known what that has been like in my own life as a person. And I want to tell you some things that are true in almost every situation I know. First of all, when you're out of fellowship with God, you inevitably will seek bad counsel. You will seek bad counsel. David is in the presence of Samuel at the end of chapter 19. Samuel is the man of God. He is the prophet. He's the one who anointed David. And David has seen God work through this prophet. He saw all the ambassadors from Saul come. And he saw them stand before Samuel the prophet and be totally immobilized by the power of God that was working through Samuel. And David was right there with Samuel. And all he had to do was stay there with the prophet of God. Grab hold of him and say, Samuel, there's things not right in my life, and I'm not going to leave here until we get this resolved. Will you pray with me? Will you counsel with me? Will you help me? But we read in the beginning of the 20th chapter, David got out of there, and instead of being with Samuel, he ends up with Jonathan, who was a good friend, but didn't give him good counsel. Jonathan encouraged him in the flight away from Saul instead of encouraging him to stay where he belonged and depend on God. And I have watched it over and over again till it's almost a broken record pattern. When people get out of fellowship with God and they start down the wrong road, they inevitably get counsel from the wrong people. I have people in my office all the time, families, couples who are having trouble. Sometimes they're about ready to break up. They're contemplating divorce. And when I find out who they've been talking to, it's not any surprise to me that they're headed down that road. They go to secular counselors who believe that divorce is an answer. 
who believe that's the best answer for some of them. Some of the couples I have talked to have told me that in their very first visit with a marriage counselor, they've been counseled to get a divorce. And then we talk to the individuals who are contemplating it or perhaps promoting it, and they will say, well, yes, I've talked to my friends, and they've encouraged it. And who are your friends? They're all divorced people or people who are in the midst of it. And I'm not picking on folks who are divorced because many of my best friends are divorced, and I praise God for the way he works in a person's life. But when you're in a situation where you're trying to determine what is right, you don't go to somebody who's in that particular situation and has made perhaps the wrong decision and get counsel from them. You get counsel from an objective source and hopefully from a godly source. But when you're not walking with God, you take counsel from the wrong people. And David took counsel from the wrong source. And it was the beginning of his downward trend away from God. Let me make another observation. When you are out of fellowship with God, you not only seek bad counsel, you select bad choices. And I'll just pause to remind you again that David is supposedly wise enough to be king of Israel, but he wears Goliath's sword on his belt when he walks into Goliath's hometown. You know, you're not using your head too well when you do stuff like that. But you watch somebody who's out of fellowship with God and see some of the crazy, screwy things they do. They just make absolutely no sense at all. And when you say, why did you do that? Well, I don't know. I just did it. When you lose your center, everything starts to fly out of the orbit and it gets all messed up. But I want to leave this last one with you as powerfully as I can because I think it's the most important lesson in the whole message. And that is, when you're out of fellowship with God, you often set in motion bad consequences. Remember at the beginning of our discussion today, I told you about my friend Dog, who showed up in the little village of Nob where all the priests were. And I told you that in chapter 21 and verse 7, that his name is mentioned, that you don't want to forget him because he's going to pop up later. And when he does, you're going to see that there are consequences to sin. Please hear me carefully. I believe God is a forgiving God. I believe that David was totally forgiven when he cried out to God in the cave. And God healed his heart and took his guilt away and brought him back into perfect fellowship. I remember some years ago in an article written in his magazine by Walter Trobish, he was writing on the purity factor uh, that is in the word of God. And he made a comment that jumped off the page into my heart because at that particular time I was counseling with a couple of girls who were in serious trouble. And the comment that he made was this, the beauty of God is that God can make done things undone. Now that sounds wonderful at first, but there's only one problem with it. It isn't true. God cannot do that. God chooses not to do that. God forgives. God forgets. God blots out the guilt, but God cannot make done things undone. It's like young people I hear once in a while. They get into trouble and they pray, may it not have happened. Well, I'm afraid it's already happened. You say, Pastor Jeremiah, what do you mean when you say God can't make done things undone? What I mean is that sometimes when we're out of fellowship with God, when we're walking far from the Lord, and when we're not following his direction and the Holy Spirit's direction, we can do things that set in motion a set of consequences that even though later we're forgiven, we can't undo. Do you hear me? Do you understand what I'm saying? God does forgive. 
God does blot it out, and we will never have to stand it in heaven. But sometimes when we're not walking with God, we do things. And and talk to me today about the broken homes and families and hurt children and all the rest of it. And the people that have asked for forgiveness, and God has forgiven them. But if you could talk to them in the quiet moment, they would say, God didn't make the done thing undone. And I ask you to look with me. The 22nd chapter of 1 Samuel where this man, Dog, shows up again, and I'll have to tell you the story quickly because their time is almost gone. When Saul finds out where David has been and traces his steps, he finds out that David had stopped in Nob and he'd been with Ahimelech the priest, and he found out that Ahimelech had given David bread and provided him with a sword. He was so mad. He called all his people together and he said, are you now going to let David be your leader? He's going to make you rich now, right? You're going to follow him. He said, go to Nob and bring all those priests here. So they gathered all 86 of the people from the city, the entire population of Nob, and they brought him in. And Saul said to his footman, kill him. Kill them all. And the footman looked and saw these priests dressed in the white linen ephod. They said, man, I'm not going to kill a priest. Are you kidding me? No, thank you. And they were insubordinate, but they didn't care. They were caught in a bind between doing what the king said and killing the Lord's anointed. And they said, we won't do it. Now watch what happened. Verse 18. And the king said to Dog, oh, there he is again. Who is he? He's the one that told the king that Ahimelech had given David sustenance. And the king said to Dog, turn thou and fall upon the priests. And Dog, the Edomite, turned, and he fell upon the priests. They didn't have any weapons. Remember, there was only one sword in the whole village, and they gave that one to David. And Dog slew on that day fourscore and five persons. That's 85. He slew 85 that did wear a linen ephod. And Nob, the city of the priests, smote he with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and sucklings, and oxen and asses and sheep with the edge of the sword. And one of the sons of Ahimelech... A man by the name of Abiathar escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar showed David that Saul had slain the Lord's priests. And listen to David's words. And David said unto Abiathar, I knew it that day when Dog the Edomite was there that he would tell Saul, I knew it. I have occasioned the death of all the persons of thy father's house. David said, that's my fault. How'd that happen, David? You didn't go in there with a purpose of killing that whole city. No, you just got out of fellowship with God. Just got on your own pattern. And when you do that, you often set in motion chain events that you can't correct. You think we stand up here in these pulpits of the land where the Bible is taught and warn people about staying in fellowship with God and walking with him just because it's good sermon material? Listen, the word of God tells us these things that protect us. Can you imagine what David went through in the years of his life as he thought about that whole village being killed because of his sin? And as if God wanted him to remember it for the rest of his life, he saw that one of them escaped. One of the sons escaped with blood all over his linen ephod. And the scripture tells us it's kind of comical in some respects. David says, verse 23, Abiathar, you stay with me. Don't be afraid. If you stay with me, you'll be all right. And I'm sure Abiathar took a great deal of comfort in that. 
after he had just seen his whole village slain because of what David did. And I have a feeling that every time David looked around that group of men that gathered themselves to him in the cave and he saw Abiathar, he got a sick feeling in his stomach. I did that. I did it. Did God forgive him? Oh, yes, he did. Will David ever have to stand judgment? No, he won't. But my friend, one of the reasons why the Word of God warns us so carefully about staying on a short leash with the Lord is that when we get out of fellowship with Him, we are capable of putting things in really bad shape. And while we can be forgiven, God cannot make done things undone. Hmm. That's true, isn't it? I know people that have gone through things like this, and they recover. They get restored, but they can never go back to where they were. And that's the challenge, is stay holy. Walk with the Lord. Be a man of God. Be a woman of God. And uh, David would be telling you that if he could give you his message today. Well, tomorrow we're going to talk about what happened when David ended up in the cave of Machpelah. Uh, It's an interesting place. He ends up in this cave thinking he's going to have time to meditate and get away from his enemy and hide. All of a sudden, he discovers he is joined by uh, a group of the off-scouring of Israelites. And the Bible describes him. I'll save that for tomorrow. He's in this cave, and we'll watch what God does with him there. It's one of my favorite stories in the life of David, a prayer from a cave. And uh, we'll talk about it tomorrow and Thursday here on Turning Point. Hope you'll join us then. In the meantime, I'm David Jeremiah. Thank you for listening. See you next time. Today's message originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and senior pastor, Dr. David Jeremiah. If Turning Point is helping you to grow your faith, please share it with us by writing to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, RPO, Sawasan, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or calling 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of The Focus Life, a month of daily readings from Psalms and Proverbs in a beautiful leather-bound book, yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet, or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series The Tender Warrior on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with Airship Genesis Legendary Bible Adventures from Turning Point. Tune in to our monthly audio adventures and join the Genesis Exploration Squad as they travel back in time to experience the stories of the Bible firsthand and discover life-changing lessons. Also available is the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible packed with the biblical content specifically written for kids from trusted Bible teacher, Dr. David Jeremiah. You can also download our Airship Genesis mobile game on your favorite smart device and play as your favorite characters in this puzzle adventure game as the squad experiences the life of Jesus firsthand. Just go to your app store and type the keywords Airship Genesis. For more details or to order a copy of the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible, visit our website at airshipgenesis.com Bible. That's airshipgenesis.com Bible.
The San Francisco 49ers were the dominant team in the National Football League in the 1980s, and most people credit the 49ers coach Bill Walsh for their success. Walsh decided on the first 20 plays the team would run before the game even started. He wanted the team to have a well-rehearsed game plan in place. Regardless of what the other team did, the 49ers knew what they were going to do. The Bible gives the Christian a game plan for life. Regardless of the circumstances life presents, the obedient Christian has a plan in place for how to respond. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's game plan for life on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. That's Route66life.com. Route 66, start your journey home today.